0: People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people
1: and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Jillian Copeland is our guest today on HealthGig. Jillian is one amazing woman, and we cannot wait for you to hear our discussion today. Jillian was an educator, staff trainer, and technology coordinator for Montgomery County Public Schools here in Maryland before she started the Deaner School in 2007. Jillian's latest and greatest endeavor, Main Street, is a joint initiative with her husband, Scott. Main Street is a model and a mindset, the first of its kind, an inclusive and affordable apartment building and community center serving people of all abilities. Jillian is here to talk to us about Main Street, and we are thrilled. Welcome, Jillian. Hey ladies, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, we are so excited. And after I visited Main Street, I came back to Doro and just told you to write every little thing that I experienced. And we are just thrilled that you said yes to come on our podcast.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs> I had such a ball with you and I love sharing Main Street with the world. So if anyone wants to join us after this, just ring me and we'll go for a tour.
1: So maybe we could just start from the beginning and you tell us all about you, how you got started, where you're going with everything.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Well, how much time do we have? I'm oh, <laughs> just, just kidding. Well, all of this really started, um, I am an educator. That is my trade. And I do love teaching. I was a teacher from Montgomery County Public Schools for many years. Our journey really began when Nicol was eight months old. He's the third of our four sons. And he began to have seizures. That was the start. We learned a lot along the way and really tried to create opportunities for Nickel, opportunities to learn, to play, to move, things that maybe weren't available for him at the time or in the kind of environment that we hoped that he would grow up in and be a part of. So we started the Diener School when Nickel was seven years old. I have a background in curriculum and education and technology and staff development, and my husband and I just decided we have one shot with this kid, right, one time for a great childhood. And we didn't really find an optimal learning environment out there for him. We tried some programs, many things were very academically focused, and that was really his challenge and we wanted a school that was holistic and was self-centered in the way that the kids were always at the center, and which I think every school really should be. We really believe in the connection between movement and learning. We wanted a therapeutic setting, so we provided a very holistic approach with a lot of collaborative educators and therapists, interventionists, and actually the school is still going strong. I think we have 68 kids enrolled for next year, which is our highest number we've ever had, So we started the school in 2007. Nicole was there for six years and I ran the school. And then we both graduated and we left at the same time. And at that point, we actually moved to California for a year where we did what my sons call a mother's gap year, (laughs) which is really nice. We lived on a beach and uh, really explored a lot of the West Coast that we hadn't seen. And that was a really beautiful time for our family. At that time, Nicole was 14 years old. And my other boys were 18 and 16 and 12. And I started really looking into the future, what life would look like for him. I never really did that much with my other boys, probably because I wasn't as worried. And the anxiety started creeping in. What are his possibilities? What are his opportunities? And I started doing some research and I physically and virtually visited many places around the country, different models of housing and programming. And I thought, where is their inclusivity? Where are there opportunities for Nickel to be a part of the community? And everything seemed very isolated and siloed. And although there were amazing programs out there and such impressive people, especially these moms and dads who had really sacrificed and created, and it was really impressive, but nothing really fit Nickel. At that point, you know, I went back to my husband and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I have another idea, which is never really something I think he's thrilled to hear. But we started working on the concept of Main Street. So we came back home after a year, back to the Washington area, and where we're from, where I'm from. I started interviewing families of adults with disabilities and interviewing adults with disabilities. And I asked them the question, basic question, how's life? I didn't get a lot of positive responses what would you like? Where's your purpose? Where's your meaning? Where's your passion? Where's your, your zest? You know, And I live for zest. So I, I think that's really big. And you are our health ladies. You understand what that means. That's really important for our overall health, at least in my opinion. I wasn't finding a lot of meaning. I wasn't finding a lot of purpose and a, a lot of productivity and a lot of happy. And when I was finding it, it really was directed a lot by the parents. It took an incredible amount of parent involvement. So I interviewed about 75 to 80 families, and I came up with the concept of Main Street. And Main Street is an apartment building and a community center. And it's a space that's affordable, it's accessible, it's welcoming, it's a place for people of all abilities, of all races, of all socioeconomic backgrounds, of all ages and stages of life. It's a place to belong. I think I really hit the target because now more than ever, I think that's really what people need and what we're looking for. People have detached so much from community in the last decade. And there's lots of research about that and data about why people feel so lonely and isolated. Well, our community of people with disabilities have always felt isolated and alone. And so Main Street is a place to bring people together. It's a place where I see already the impact that it's having even just with a tiny couple months of post-COVID programming. It's really incredible. I think it's really positively impacting people Our building is a 70-unit apartment building, and 25% of those units were set aside for adults with disabilities. It turns out about 31 people who live in the building self-identified as having a disability. But even more importantly, 75% of the building is affordable. And affordability seems to be key, not just in the disability population, but pretty much any population, right? The barriers for people to live independently are mainly financial. Sometimes accessibility is an issue for some of these older buildings, but mainly it's financial. And so we decided that the affordability piece, the accessibility and the sustainability were really the pillars of what Main Street is about.
0: So is it a community that's mixed, that's partially people with disabilities and partially not? It is, Doro. That's
2: a great question. So what we find is that the mindset out there is when people traditionally think of adults with disabilities, they think of group homes, they think of isolated Mm -hmm. farms or ranches. This is a totally different way to look at things. It's a different frame in which we're hoping will permeate into our culture and actually change mindsets. And it's a frame of living next door to just a friend, a neighbor, and being communal. And many of our members who join Main Street, we have residents who come down and use our community center spaces and they're a part of our community. We also have 166, at this point, additional members who join us. And many of them have disabilities and many of them do not have disabilities. And our programming, we use the entire community center, are these amazing spaces that Tricia saw. They're highly amenitized, they're absolutely gorgeous. And that was very purposeful. But these spaces are used for social programming, educational. We have a huge fitness center. We have opportunities to move together, to learn together. We have cooking classes, Zumba, boot camp. We have coffees. We have patio lunches. We're doing a web design class. We're doing our charcuterie class. We have an art and culture series that actually Bridget Fried, who was one of your previous um, yep. women who you interviewed, Bridget ran a travel series for us that was virtual. So we could actually travel during the pandemic. We provide lots of opportunities. And the idea is that we all have shared interests, right? Food and travel and movement and nutrition and overall wellness and, you know, art. And so bringing people together through these shared interests are really just an opportunity to bring all people together. My 82-year-old mother, she will absolutely kill me when she hears that I just said her age, (laughs) but my mother is doing Zumba with us. And her friends are joining for the culture series because they're interested in visiting museums around the country that we visit monthly. My son, Nickel, who is 22 with disabilities, he's coming to our programming. My other sons came to our mixology night. One of my sons actually was the mixologist. (laughs) And they joined us for our beer tasting. And we're having a sibling support group. We have a group of moms who are members, and we provided a SOS, Season of Serenity, caregiving series for them for eight weeks. So Main Street is really something for everyone. And Mm -hmm. that's the goal is that we change the way you look at what this population is. And usually people who have come to support the disability population come with kindness, which is amazing, but it's a little bit of pity and a little bit of charity. And that's what we're trying to change. So Doro, if you and Trisha came and you came and worked out with me, and I'd give you a great workout, I promise. <laughs> um, and we were in our gym and we're walking on the treadmill and all of a sudden, you know, Daniel comes in and he's a resident that lives there. And he says, hey, Trisha," and he works out next to us. And then he says, how about let's get a cup of coffee? That's how we build organic relationships. Trisha's not saying, oh, you know, this kid has disabilities. So I'm going to go be nice and have a cup of coffee. She's saying, this kid is really cool. And we share some commonalities. I'm gonna go have a cup of coffee with him and build a friendship. Maybe I'll meet him back here for pizza later. And that's what we're finding is actually happening even in this limited time because we've only had a few months post COVID. It's really an incredible space and it feels a little bit movementy,
1: grassrootsy, grassroots-y, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is real. And again, the idea with the coffee shop right there, They have this great coffee shop, this great healthy smoothies kind of shop market, which is great. And again, a place where we can just go pick up our butter if you need butter or or that kind of thing. So it's just wonderful that it can be the center of people's lives. It's a community center that I think we all want to belong to. Great. And you yeah. are so Thank, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that.
2: Thank you. The cafe was really part of our mission for inclusive hiring and training practices. And so people that work at Soulful Cafe, some have disabilities, some do not. And the idea is that, you know, who doesn't want to kind of come and gab over a cup of coffee, right? So again, inclusive opportunities to bring people together in these light, bright spaces. In the past, one of the things that's always troubled me is that When I have visited places for my son and others with disabilities, and I've worked with this population for a long time now, schools and centers and living facilities, residential facilities are dark, they're dim, they're basement quality. And I don't really know anybody who wants to live in a basement. Whether you have a disability or not, I believe that as part of health, and because this is a health podcast, I think it's important to share, part of health is housing is we have a place that we're proud of to live, that we want to call home, we come through. And that's part of health for me. And it's safe, so we don't have to be on edge and anxious while we're living there. We have protection, we have community around us. Part of health to me is engagement, connectivity, stimulation, education. And part of it is a wraparound community that if I'm living in my building and I'm in 501, that's my son's apartment, and somebody in 503 I find out is sick, I knock on the door and say, hey, can I help? we've lost that, some of that. Mm -hmm. We are all busy and life is hard and toxic at times. And we all often don't make the time to even just smile and say hello. And this is this culture that we're building here of not just inclusion, but really of kindness. And when you walk into Main Street, you would never know that it's an affordable building and you would never know that it's a building that 31 of the units are occupied by people with disabilities because it is so light and bright that I believe most people that walk in are saying to themselves, wow, I'd live here. I'd love to live here. That typically isn't what you find in affordable housing and it certainly isn't what you find in any disability programming. And we did that purposely, A, because we believe everybody deserves opportunity and possibility and light spaces and color. And we are seeing that people are standing taller. They are walking with pride. They are bringing people in and saying, this is my home, it's called Main Street. I believe from there, that's where your real health starts, right? You can stand tall. You might be able to have more self-efficacy. You might try new things. You might learn to cook with us. You might actually go and interview with someone and get a, a job that you weren't able to get because you weren't able to do well during the interview before. But now you're feeling a little bit of confidence. You're feeling worthy. You feel dignity. And I believe that this is a culture of respect. I think we can all use a little respect, right? and mm-hmm. share, share a little respect. And overall, the health improvements, I believe, are going to be pretty
1: dynamic and impactful. Oh, yeah. Like you said, connection is just so important, especially post-COVID. So, okay, all this energy, all what you've accomplished, where are you and Nico going next? What do you want to have happen for this community and for all communities?
2: Okay. That is a great question. And first I'm going to answer, which is a really honest answer. And then I'm going to give you the other answer that's podcast worthy. The first one is I want nickel to be at main street and I want to get the hell out of here and go live on a beach. Uh, Uh, So that's like, when you say, what's your vision, that's really my vision, but that's not going to happen.
1: But you bring up a really good point and it was interesting. And I think I mentioned this before having had a special needs brother and seeing the commitment that parents have to their children it is all, it is everything. It defines everything. So your point is right. This is your life's work and this is just where you are. And maybe it's not what you want. It's not that you don't want that, but you know what I mean? I love that you're honest about that. I would love
2: a little liberation. I think what happens when we raise kids like this is, you know, look, he's been my purpose for a long time. I mean, obviously I'm mothering four children, but he requires a lot more. So I am living with purpose, right? And and it is pretty incredible. And I am watching him grow and there's nothing better. But I think what happens, and I see this with a lot of families that have special needs, is the moms and the kids, sometimes the dads, but the moms and the kids, now young adults, There is a codependency that happens. And so while we want them to be independent, there is this detachment that must happen that's quite difficult. And I've actually been going through that the last few months, which has been a very difficult transition for both Nickel and for me. I do think at the end of the day, I would love for him to live this full, meaningful life with me just being the mom that I get to be for my other boys. And I don't know if that's realistic, honestly, but I do know this, that he is living with purpose and he's at main street just a couple nights a week now and it feels really good and his independence even if just a couple nights a week is my independence a couple nights a week mm-hmm. and that is liberating for me and i hope that it's 7 days a week and that would be really nice too but i'm really just fine kind of where we are i also have learned we all learn a lot as moms especially but we just live more in the day So, you know, today my son hasn't had a seizure and he hasn't had anxiety and I'm, you know, talking to you amazing ladies and learning and growing and like, that's a great day. That moment thing that everyone's talking about, that mindfulness thing, it's really important, not just for me, but for Nickel too. Like just be proud of the day we had, be grateful for the day.
1: As you say, walking in someone else's shoes, we don't know, but we can only really appreciate that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know. Yes, of course. But then what's the podcast-worthy comments? (laughs) The the podcast-worthy, sorry about that, ladies. I tend to digress a little and uh, go
2: off in my own world. I would love to bring Main Street to every Main Street in America. And that's part of the reason why we named it Main Street, because it is for everyone and it belongs everywhere. With that being said, it's a challenge. And as we've discussed before, building a Main Street isn't easy. It's a $31 million building. You need to be connected in the community to build that support. There's a lot of people that oppose something like this. So you need to really understand your community and the demographics and the market. And I think for us, we would love to replicate Main Street, but knowing how the concerns and the challenges when building Makes it a little bit more difficult because we're not connected in these other communities and we can't presume to know what other communities need. With that being said, I do think a Main Street or a version of it that meets the market needs of that area and that district, that's what we would love to help to do. So we already are working with people in Los Angeles, Alabama, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Wisconsin a couple other areas. And we're also, we're trying to help them build their own version of Main Street. What's been really neat is connecting different people. So for example, yesterday, I got an email from someone in Los Angeles who I knew when I lived out there. And she said, I'm really struggling. My son is 21, these transitional years, which are often referred to, I'm sure you guys have heard of as the cliff. Her son is in that cliff. And boy, is that difficult. And she's looking for some support. We are working with an organization in Los Angeles and have been trying to support them and help them get their main street off the ground or on the ground. So, you know, I connected her to that group. And then we know of another group who has not solicited our services, but who we've read about. And so it's great to know what's out there and connect people.
0: Are there other models like your model or is yours unique?
2: There are other models that are outstanding. None of them that I know are quite the same as Main Street. We all have similar missions, but our models are quite different. We do have kind of a sister partner, we call her, in San Francisco, the Bay Area, and she's building three different kinds of Main Streets. She's a really neat person, and we are actually having our first affordable, accessible, inclusive housing conference, and we're partnering. It's going to be here in November. And the first day is on how do you build your Main Street? We're starting with the big vision, but also giving some real deep granular kind of important information to help you get yours off the ground. And then the second day is all about advocacy and policy. Cuz we're right here in DC and we need more money, we need more funding for Main Street, so that's part of our goal. So when you ask me, you know, do I want more Main Streets? Absolutely. And so we're working in all different capacities to try to get more funding and financing options for anyone trying to do their version of Main Street. It's not about us. There are many more models out there and different options, and of course, we believe in choice, and everyone should have a, you know, they should be able to apartment shop or a house shop just like everybody else. There should be a group home, there should be a ranch and a farm, whatever floats your boat. But the choices need to be available, and they're really not. One of the big differences about Main Street that makes us unique is we have a model that we've kind of coined the phrase called BYOI. It might be something different than what what. Most people think about BYO something (laughs) and BYOI is bring your own independence. And that means that whether you live at main street in our apartments or you're a member of main street, you join us for our programs, you bring what it is to help you achieve your independence. So if you need a sister, a mother, a caregiver, a direct service provider to come and live with you at main street, have at it, get your two bedroom, get a three bedroom, get whatever works for you. It's your key. It's your choice. If you come to Main Street and you need some help, one-to-one support, we're not going to be providing that support for you. We have a scaffolding of staff. They're all around the building to help people stay engaged and connected and focused. And we have amazing facilitators. We use people all over Montgomery County to run our programs and some DC and Virginia. But we do not provide that one-to-one support. We believe that housing and
1: services should be separate. You should have choices within both. That's such a wonderful way to start beginning and changing the culture that you said is what you really are attempting to do. A true, true disruptor. But it feels like, so. <laughs> it just feels like that might be just in you, right? Like, it this sort of, oh, yes, what's been happening all yeah. Jillian's life? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm sure my parents would give you a whole other story about raising me, but yes. Yeah, let's call it disruptor. That sounds good. That's a disruptor. Yeah. What have you seen? And you said, Just even just these moments, these day to day moments have made a big difference in your life. And you're seeing that for the other folks. I know when I was there, we were in the coffee shop and you were saying it's so interesting that parents of children that live there, adult children that live there, might stop in and then be able to sort of connect with each other. And I saw that in action and saw the difference it made, which is just almost magical. And as you said, zest doesn't always have to be happiness either. Zest could be just feeling really alive and talking. To somebody about what's happening that day. And that's sort of what I felt when I was there.
2: That makes me feel so good. We are getting a lot of really positive feedback. We're also getting some feedback that is maybe not positive, but critically important for our success and the overall happiness of everybody living there. I mean, people will say, I have a great way to make this place safer. Or, you know, this happened to my daughter or this is a problem. I mean, look, that's the only way to learn is learn through these mistakes or learn through things that could be better or be improved. And we're all about feedback. We spent a year working with Sharp Insight, which is a development evaluation firm in Montgomery County, and they helped us learn to create surveys, focus groups, interviews. In fact, I was just on the line with them before our podcast. And they continually help us engage our community so that they feel safe in providing us feedback. A lot of the parents will say, we feel so much gratitude. We don't want to share any of the negative. No, we want the negative, right? We want it because then we're going to turn it into a positive if and when we can. The bigger piece that I think is really important that Dora, you asked me, how are we different than a lot of places around the country? One of the things that's really important and can be a needle mover and is going to hopefully help us change policy and get some more funding for these is research. I can tell you all day long that I'm seeing happy people in our building. Like I said, people are standing tall. They're walking with pride. I am witnessing these things every day. And many of these people who are living at Main Street, I've known many of them for a long time, so I can see the difference. But of course, that's just you know anecdotal. University of Maryland has almost finished completing a research study that they have partnered with us on. They are researching three different demographics at Main Street. One is residents with disabilities who moved in or are living at Main Street. The second are residents without disabilities living at Main Street. And the last group are family members of residents with disabilities. And we have 57 people that are in the research study. And we will get our first report in July, which I'm hoping and praying is going to show exactly what I'm seeing. And we did a couple case studies also that will give us some of that granular, really deep, good information. The research study is measuring the quality of life impact that Main Street is having. And we'll see what the outcome is and what the results look like. And if there's anything that matches what we actually are seeing, I think they're going to be really good.
1: And like you said, measurement matters.
2: It matters. And data, you know, you need data and metrics, right? Yep. And hopefully we can take that and we can then duplicate it in some of these other models around the country. They can do their own version of research. And then we can say, this is why we need the farm. This is why we need the inclusive, affordable apartment buildings. This is why we need group homes. There needs to be something for everyone because everybody's different in this model. It does positively impact quality of life for this person.
0: Do you do anything with placement for employment for some of the people living at Main Street?
2: We're not in the employment lane, but we do partner with Kennedy Krieger and Jessa, some other organizations that help with employment, whether it's interview skills, resume, on-the-job training. But what we did decide to do, in addition to the Soulful Cafe and hiring and you know, having a mission for diverse hiring and inclusive training policies, but we also have a internship that's paid, and it's a, right now a six-month concierge internship. So we bring people in with disabilities. They work at our front desk. We're in the process of kind of creating and firming up a curriculum for them. The hope is that they work at the desk, they learn the skill, and the trade. And then we can hopefully spit them out to the Hyatt and the Hilton and other partners that we have. One of our friends is building the Marriott in Bethesda. We're hoping to get to him and maybe apartment buildings. We could have a little bit of an employment track. I don't think we'll have tons of people going through it at least a year, but maybe two or three a year. And hopefully we can help them gain or find meaningful employment after that.
0: And is Main Street sold out or are there still available apartments? It's sold out and our waiting
2: list is closed. Just to share the actually stats about the great need, we opened the apartment line, the rental line for people to call if they wanted an apartment at Main Street on March 16th of 2020, the height of the pandemic. The first day we had 11,000 calls for apartments, 70 units, 11,000 calls.
0: How did you even funnel that?
2: So, my husband is the developer of Main Street. He's in real estate and he runs the property management company. And his company fielded all the calls, which was tricky because none of the people answering the phones were in the same room. They were none of them were in the same state. And it was chaotic. It was chaotic. I don't remember the number the second day, but it was pretty big also. It wasn't close to 11,000, but it was pretty big. And then for the week, it was hundreds and hundreds of calls a day. It was difficult, and I think what was difficult in his staff was just the people calling, and they'd been calling, you know, 100 times during the day. They couldn't get through. They finally got to somebody, and they were upset that they didn't think they'd get an apartment because it took them three days to get through, and that's exactly what happened. You know, we kind of checked out. My husband and I just, we weren't involved in the process at all because, you know, it has to be a legal process, fair housing laws, and we know too many people that wanted apartments, and in fact, our son didn't get an affordable apartment, and he's in a market-rate apartment. We didn't even put him on the list. We didn't want there to be any speculation or ridicule or anything. And we just felt like that was fair. We can afford it. And that's what we did. It was difficult. I was having a really hard time. And then I got the apartment list of who got apartments, which was amazing. I knew a lot of them and I was really excited, but a lot of people didn't get them. And it was really heart-wrenching. I have to say that was, and I knew it would be the most challenging part. And it was. But the good part about Main Street or and the great part about Main Street, and this is why we did the community centers, because we knew the housing was going to be so limited. We still wanted to give people a community wraparound and a place to belong. And to me, that's the most important thing, because when I was interviewing all these people with disabilities and their families, even if they were living independently, their life wasn't of quality. It wasn't of quality. And that was because they didn't have community support around them. So they were moving into an apartment. Many of them, especially the males playing video games a lot of the day, some of them were employed. But as you know, this is a woefully underserved population. 50% of people with disabilities are employed. And that's in Montgomery County is one of the highest numbers out there in the country. Of those 50% that are employed, many of them are only working part-time. So they're not earning livable wages, which is why they can't live independently, right? But a lot of them who get their parents' support or can live independently because they can afford it they lived there and they'd still, you know, weren't finding their mojo. And so the parents would then pick them up for dinner. And so they were living, yes, outside of their family home, but not really with the zest, since we're Uh using that word, that is possible. And so I see Main Street as even if you didn't get an apartment and and look, I always spin the positive because that's just how I operate. But even if you didn't get an apartment, you have an opportunity to be there every day of the week. And enjoy the connectivity and the engagement and the stimulation and the belonging that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And then you get on a list and hopefully we get you an apartment somewhere else or somebody moves out and you're on our waiting list. And then there's another opportunity. But you got to start somewhere.
0: Yeah. We need more Main Streets. Yes, we do. Definitely
1: need more Main Streets. Oh my God, Jillian, this has just been incredible. I mean, just incredible. What didn't we talk about that we need to talk about? Um, well, we didn't talk about you guys. Us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're just thrilled to have you here. So thank, thank you. you.
2: I think the one last thing that I'd love to throw in, yes, because this is the health ladies who helped yes. me so much. I listen to your <laughs> podcast and I learned so much, is that we are piloting a program. There is this incredible comorbidity of people with disabilities with other health impairments and there are lots of reasons for it, right? They, many live sedentary lifestyles. Some don't understand cause and effect. Many haven't been provided with good medical or health opportunities, honestly. Many can't afford some of the things that really allow us to be healthy. And I also think that this is a, a population of people that we have focused so much. I know I, I, as a parent, focused so much on so many things with my son, behavior, medical, schooling, fighting my insurance company. You know, Things become very toxic that at the end of the day, if he wants a burger, I'm like, have at it. Like, I just can't fight another thing. And a lot of our folks have these chronic conditions, or at least are heading towards them, whether it's diabetes, autoimmune, pretty much mirroring the general population, but more so higher numbers. And so we created this program called LibWell, and we're piloting it in the fall. And we're piloting with six kids and a wellness coach. And we have suburban hospitals, a partner and Jessa and Kennedy Krieger and food and friends. And we have nutritionists coming in and even someone coming in to do skincare and medical screenings and health interviews and really looking at if people are involved in this space of belonging and a part of a cohort of social connectivity and engagement and provided these opportunities for stress management, for movement, for education around nutrition, hydration, and sleep. If we really put all of these things on the table and bring people to the table, can we impact their health in a positive way? And so that's our next piece. And that's what we'll be starting in in August We've been working on curriculum for that. We're actually, it stems from an evidence-based curriculum out of the University of Illinois called Health Matters, but we're modifying it somewhat. And it looks to be really incredible. And I actually think as life-changing as Main Street, I believe is and will be over time, I think this health piece is a pretty critical piece of it. So I'm really
1: excited. Maybe I can share that with you when that we get the information. We would love it. We would love it and get it out there. And yeah, anything we can do to be part of that we'll follow up. Yes, thank and you. <laughs> and talk about that. Maybe we can come to your conference. Yes. yes. That would be great. Thank you
2: so much. Please, you know, go to our website mainstreetconnect.org and get in touch. You don't have to have a disability to join us. We want members and volunteers and just friends and I promise if you come you will leave with a smile. I do know that. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate spreading our mission and kindness. And I'm so grateful for all you ladies do for our community. And so thank you for honoring me with allowing me to be a part of this.
1: Thank you. Thank you for joining us on HealthGig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha, And I'm Doro. Be well.